Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Cup of News podcast with your host, Matt, and myself, Peter. But first, a word from our sponsors, which is us, so a word from us. Make sure you guys check out couplenurses.com. We keep our show notes there. We got the couplenurses.com shop is also up. Some cool merch there, some cool shirts. We have frontlinewarriors.com as well. That's wearefrontlinewarriors.com. We have a lot of blog posts there, a lot of things about consciousness, meditation, wellness, how to be a more more improved or better version of yourself through consciousness. Uh, also, don't forget to check out our YouTube. We have almost 1.1K subs. Shout out to the one, the 1080 that we have, though. So it's cool. It's nice, nice progress. We have the vlogs coming out every week um, on YouTube. And thank you for all your ratings and your reviews and likes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. What's up, Matt? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for the beautiful introduction. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the petrodollar, the history of oil, how it all starts, why prices fluctuate, amongst other things. Let's just get into hardcore facts about oil and, of course, our spin on it. But real quick, we have a little bit of beer that we're going to drink because why not? And as a non-disclosure, Let's crack we, it open. we don't have any ties to oil barons. Matt and I are not oil barons. I don't have any blood... Uh, lineage connected to the Rothschilds or Rockefellers that I know about. No, me neither. No Carnegies, maybe. No Carnegies. No, no, no transportation of oil either. So mm. I'm completely. Let's get a crack in yeah. here. Uh, we haven't drank uh, a beer on the episode for uh, quite some time. Yeah, we should do another episode of um, how alcohol affects your body. And just drink like a 12 in Texas. Pack. Yeah, I so said we should do some Texas moonshine. How Texas? What are they drinking in Texas? I don't know. No. All I know is barbecue out there, bro. Barbecue. We shall how barbecue affects your, your eat it for thirty days. Make a documentary. Did you know that? Um, cheers, man. Cheers. Did you know that all scotch comes from Scotland? It makes sense. It's type of whiskey, but all scotch comes from Scotland. So, so you can only make scotch in Scotland. It has to be made there. You can't make scotch oh, here. Is that law? That's law. Damn. You know how two chain says that law? That's that law? law. That's law. That's law. Well, that makes sense because same thing with tequila, like the blue agave. Mm. I think a specific city in Mexico has the rights to only grow and distill and make that specific sure enough tequila. I think that's a mezcal or something. Mm. Don't quote me on that one. But I like tequila. Yeah, I'm not the big fan of any kind of alcohol. I don't know, dude. Like, I feel like alcohol was was good when you're a certain age, and then when you hit hit another age, I think all alcohol tastes like shit. Except maybe like beer. Beer still, I, I've I haven't like I haven't changed my mind about beer. Yeah, I feel like growing up, it was a social pressure mm-hmm. needing to drink because that's how we literally socialize as a culture. And more and more, I felt less pressured to need to drink and socialize. And then I didn't care for it at all, especially the way it makes you feel the next day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but a beer a day isn't that bad. Nah. I don't drink a beer a day, though. I drink like if you had to, you know how they asked, asked you on admission how much glasses of wine or, or how much drinks you have a day? Yeah. Or a year or whatever, like probably I don't know, like total wise, maybe like thirty a year. Seems yeah, legit, right? Seems legit. Because I'll probably more, I'll probably like fifty. I I barely drank in California, and then in Chicago on our nurse break, we probably consumed the most amount I did all year. Because mm-hmm. old friends, same habits in a sense, but yeah. it's fun. I, I it doesn't hurt to socialize and have a beer. Cold not, one. It's not a drug of choice. We prefer like meditation and deep breathing. And caffeine. It's not a drug, man. It's a lifestyle there. <laughs> but yeah. So the petrol dollar, I think it's interesting getting the history of how things started. Mm-hmm. Like big oil, 
We watched a documentary called How Big Oil Conquered the World. I highly recommend anyone to find that on YouTube, but the original version, because there's like versions on YouTube that are taken down. And basically John D. Rockefeller started Standard Oil and it monopolized the United States. But but this also started in different countries. And just to go like a history back before we bounce into the petrodollar, there's bloodlines that were bidding on oil in specific countries, right? Like you have the Rockefellers, but then you have the Rothschild, but they were bankers originally. D. Rockefeller, his father discovered oil. Here you have big bank that went into oil. And for example, those are the British families. There was also the, the Deutsche Bank. There was also the the German bloodlines that were into banking. And a crazy thing that blew my mind about this is, for example, when they discovered oil in Turkey, they were wanting to fight for the land for that country. So the Rothschilds, uh, I think the Deutsche Bank had some um, access there first. Mm-hmm. So in order for them to get access, they literally hired like basically a public relations dude to go into Turkey, talk to the government, help them establish a central bank there. While that happened, when they established the the oil there, they got a percentage of it. Right, but the thing is, what happened was, didn't they, World War One start? So there was negotiations going on in Turkey to have the oil be run by people in like the, uh, not the Axis powers, but the Allied powers, you, yeah. you could say, before the world broke out, the war broke out. So they're negotiating to have a certain country have more power over oil versus Germany. And then the war broke out, which kind of solidified the deal that the Axis would kind of have have that oil. Yeah. And it's crazy how before the war broke out, they were still trying to figure out who's going to get this oil and they were fighting over it. And like when World War One happened, that's crazy. Archduke Franz Ferdinand got assassinated, right? World War One. Yeah. Is that what happened? Yep. And even if lo- looking into prior to that, be- before like taking it back to the United States, how Rockefeller, like the Supreme Court banned the monopolization of oil. Mm-hmm. There used to be a lot of electric transportation in different cities, but because of corporate greed which would be standard oil and him they kept buying and monopolizing off things like what was the one thing where they had like electric buses and they got rid of that through deals and they instead renovated those electric cars and just made buses to run on petroleum just to boost their profits right so these guys would literally they wouldn't outperform the competition they would destroy the competition like i was saying with the railroad cars so it was run by electricity and these guys wanted oil to be to be more powerful and used as a necessity compared to electricity. So literally what they did was they bought out the land that the government owed and said, hey, we're gonna do the transportation over here, but we're gonna do it our way. And the government said, yeah, fine, do it and you can pay for it. So they basically then, they ripped out all the the rail, electric railways and they put basically gas powered buses, which is crazy how you can do that when you have that much money. Yeah. You really don't have to worry about the combination because you could just literally not even even allow this competition to be exposed to, to, to people. Because back then, electricity wasn't really a big known thing. It was more of the, of the oil-powered car, the gas-powered car, right? Nobody was doing electricity. There was small, small groups of people that were trying to create these electric-powered vehicles, but majority of the, of the wealth and the money was in the, the hands of these people that owned oil. So obviously, you're going to want to push a product that runs on, on your product. Exactly. Because that, that's like a genius approach to it. And this is why people don't see the modern day dilemma when corporations are doing things to influence specific things in our mm-hmm. society and blaming it on another event that's happening in the world. Apply that to whatever you want, but this has been happening throughout history. 
And you mentioned that we talk about examples. Another example is like the prohibition from 1920 to 1933, I believe. So uh, the Model T cars were running on oil, but also they found that alcohol is a better energy source for cars to run on. It was cheaper than the standard oil per barrel, and it was better for the environment. Standard oil, John D. Rockefeller, he noticed the competition. What do you do? You buy them out. So in order order to do that and prohibit the use of alcohol in cars, he blamed it and needed an excuse to do something on a national level. Americans were big drinkers back then, a lot more than now. So what what he said is he bought out some, I don't know what the story goes, politicians, whatever power you have to buy out in the United States to basically say, we need to stop Americans drinking alcohol because it's bad for their health. That's Mm -hmm. wild. So for 13 years, you couldn't buy, sell, produce, transport, or anything for alcohol so you couldn't even create anything with it so back then when you had these these alcohols that would power these engines you had the alcohol engine and basically the oil or the gasoline engine and now if you bring a prohibition and you can't access alcohol how are you going to how are you going to create cars that run alcohol you can't it's impossible because it's going to be too hard for you to get the product that they run on so that's another great example of how Rockefeller was able to destroy competition instead of outperforming it. Yeah. And another like great example using him, I mean, the guy's smart as hell. You got to give it to him, dude, is like the how, how media influences things. So he was such a rich man. He was a billion dollar man versus the average American only made $525 a year. So this guy was walking around and people would cry to him and do all these negative things because they knew how rich he was because he was just giving out money. Or, and, and they also had a bad image, I believe, uh, about him. So he hired, and he knew the power of influence, public relations to record specific stories of him doing good deeds, like giving 10 cents to poor people. And they would post this on the media and things like that in the paper to create a better persona image of him. Yeah. Well, what's even crazy what he did is that the Rockefellers, they were the ones that created the anti-Rockefeller like foundation people. So they actually benefited off the haters too because they ran that organization too. So all of the donations that people would, would give to like the, the anti-Rockefeller organizations and, and anti-Rockefeller people, technically they were giving it back to Rockefeller one, because, one he was, because he was one, one, one running the opposition too, which is insane. So he, he had himself and his team and also the competition. He, he played on both sides, which is how wild that is. It just shows you how much money this guy had that he could afford to make a business out of people hating on him. That's crazy. Smart guy. And that's why when you look at like real world events, this is why you look at the bigger picture and see what's happening, Mm -hmm. the influences, the money being spent somewhere because that all matters because that shit was happening for decades, centuries, kings, freaking war. I mean, that's how people survive, man. Right. Yeah. So bringing it back to petrodollar. So for those of you that, that don't know, uh, our United States currency, it's considered fiat currency, which is a currency not backed by anything. Back, I want to say before World War II or something around the area, we'll get into dates and specifications in a little bit. There was one point in time where all money was backed by gold. So for example, you go, go somewhere and you could give an X amount of dollars and it'll give you gold for it. It's, it's a, it was an equal exchange. But now that doesn't exist anymore. So everything is basically not really backed by anything tangible, you could say. So what the petrodollar is or how so it relates. It's like a crypto, man. Right. So what the petrodollar is and how it relates, the quick rundown is basically a petrodollar was created 
uh, during the oil boom and it was used as a way to purchase oil. But the thing is, it was that all oil had to be purchased with the US dollar, which means wherever you were in the, in the country, you're basically, you basically needed US dollars to buy oil. And that's also if you sold oil, you would get the money back in US dollars. So if you wanted to buy oil, you had to have USD. And if you wanted to sell oil, you would get USD. This is why we're, we have been so dominant. Yeah, that's exactly how why we've been so dominant in, in the world and why we still currently are so dominant. So what happened, kind of just to give you a little background, is it's post-World War I, Europe was completely destroyed. Number one country that came to rise was the United States because we didn't have a, a war-torn country. Manufacturing was, was booming, industrial revolution, and all that was, was peaking and everything was going good for us and very well, which also made our currency be very valuable because with war usually comes inflation. So all these European countries that had the pound, the, the whatever the Germans had, the French, before the euro came to be in existence and stuff, um, they each had their own currencies, but that was worth less than a dollar because the U.S. had the better economy. If you wanted to succeed in life or have better opportunity, people usually immigrated into the United States. And it's we're a perfect example of that because our family thought the same way, and that's why Peter and I are here as immigrants from our we're first generation. Right. And another crazy thing about it is since the U.S. dollar was so powerful and U.S. wasn't war-stricken, we also had the most amount of gold. And basically, there was more currency in Europe than there was gold to provide for that. So what happened was uh, in 1944, there, there was a conference with about 44 countries, including the United States, and where they discussed, hey, what are we going to do with this money? Because we just had World War One, we have a bunch of currencies, and we can't always, we can't back everything by gold. Like, which ones should we make more important? Which ones should we make less important? What should be like, it's like a standard. So then the U.S. proposed that, that the currencies be hedged by the dollar and the dollar is going to be backed by gold. So all these 44 countries, their currencies were basically backed by the dollar and then the dollar would only be backed by gold. Which creates the... Which kind of has the same idea. Monopoly in a sense. Right. Which basically creates a monopoly because if you want to get gold for your French money or for your English money, you first had to exchange it for the US dollar and then after you had the US dollar, you were able to exchange it for the gold. So basically it was a currency backing multiple currencies that was backed by gold. And this all started taking a pivotal shift when we went to war with Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So in 1971, during that era when we've we've been in Vietnam for a few years, we and real quick Vietnam, which which is interesting because Vietnam was the first war ever in history that was that was all done on a loan. So we never paid for the Vietnam War. It was all financed. Damn, isn't that crazy? And that's that's what happens. What you're gonna that's what, that's what happened that you're going to talk about in, in a little bit. Yeah, when did the federal? I wonder when the Federal Reserve took place because that well, that created the monetary system for America to continuously keep taking these financial loans out for things. I'm guessing Federal Reserve would have to. We should probably look that up. But I'm guessing Federal Reserve would have to come into existence after these 44 countries probably meant be, met because then doesn't the Federal Reserve print the money right yeah. for the US? But then when U.S. dollar would it be established. 1913, bro. Yeah, so now I'm thinking. For the U.S. dollar to be established, the Federal Reserve would also have to be established because they're the ones that were always printing it. Yeah. So it has to be before World War One, which you said is 1913, which makes sense. And this and basically the Federal Reserve is just a monetary system that over it's a central bank in America yeah. that regulates the U.S. dollars. So they're the ones that you know print money, burn money, give you money, take away your money. 
Yeah, it's such an illusion. It's it's mind blowing when you get into the history. So, uh, what Peter mentioned is our war was funded by debt. Yeah. Long story short, so Nixon in 1971 announced that hey, we don't have the USD backed up by gold anymore, yeah. and that basically skyrocketed the price of oil because the dollar devalued. There was no backing by gold, so the price of oil per barrel went up from two dollars to twelve dollars. Yeah. Just imagine that kind of inflation taking place all within that time. Right. So what happened was Nixon and the whole the whole party that was pro the Vietnam War, they financed this war. And what happens with financing is is there was not enough gold to back it up, so we had to leave these this gold standard of of one dollar for for the gold because you could say we over leveraged how much money we we thought was going to be brought back for Vietnam you could say and that's when Nixon had to make a decision whether hey what are we gonna what are we gonna do with, with this U S dollar because there's X amount of dollars but we only have X amount of gold I think there was like three times we I think it was like three times more U S dollars than there was gold available. And so countries started to realize that, hey, this is happening. So they came, started coming to the U.S. and asking for their gold back. So they were giving away their U.S. dollars for the gold. So Nixon was like, shit, there's not enough gold for all these, all these U.S. dollars that are, that are in the system. What do we do? Because these countries keep asking for their, for their gold for this U.S. dollar. We're not going to be able to give everybody this U.S. dollar because, because they fucked up because of the Vietnam War. Yeah, we got an idea. Yeah, we got fucked because when you take stuff on a loan, you're expected to, to pay back with interest, right? And interest got so high where... It ended up being three times more than what we had. And this is where the petrol dollar was created. So we figured out an idea to make our money or make the USD dollar create be valuable by being backed up by oil. Mm. So oil was the currency of the USD, you know, and they have an interconnected relationship now ever since then. Right. And so, yeah, so Nixon sent Henry Kissinger to Saudi Arabia to kind of bring forth this idea where these oil producing countries are are only going to be able to sell their oil and and you can only buy oil with the US dollar which is which is insane because that makes the US dollar very reliable on oil and oil also reliable on the US dollar it's going to cause price fluctuations but this is in, insane how you how you could go into a country send like a diplomat or somebody that's good at conversing or making deals like Henry Kissinger was I'm pretty sure he was a bankster right bankster he was an old uh, German Jew that escaped right during the Hitler time in World mm. War II, and he was the let's see, he was a treasure, not the treasury secretary. He was a treasury secretary of the United States. Okay, yeah, and national and a national security advisor. Mm-hmm. High, high, high man, high value man. Yeah, so they basically sent him to make this this deal. So what happened was what Matt was saying. That since countries started realizing, hey, this U.S. dollar isn't actually backed by gold, so it's not really as valuable as we thought, people weren't really interested in it anymore. So, like Matt said, the oil prices shot up, for example, it went from $2 to $12. That just shows you that there was a drop in demand of U.S. dollars. So, the the U.S. dollar wasn't as valuable. That's why there's inflation and the prices skyrocketed. Because if if the U.S. dollar isn't strong anymore and can't buy you as much as you used to, then obviously... Country are going to charge more for their products. And a good perspective is that every single country has some kind of oil-based petroleum vehicle. And now every single country needs to have USD to buy this damn oil for the whole entire country's cars, trucks, transportation, you name it. This And this is where value was restored in the USD. Mm. And if, you know, did you mention that in exchange, Saudi Arabia got uh, 
military protection. So yeah, we we protect Saudi Arabia as the military. So whatever conflict potentially Saudi Arabia had with Iraq and all that, you never know what kind of influence that had. Mm. Maybe we had to go into war. Yeah. What if they're I don't geez, I don't know the history, but now we're speculating here just so you guys know. What if that Saddam Hussein was trying to do something and have a direct impact on the petrol dollar. So we instead had to, it was basically 9-11 was funded by Saudi Arabia, but a bunch of terrorists. That's been the conspiracy, right? We don't know. But if you look into the history of oil and how corrupt it is and what happens in the, the backdoor plays, you see how this shit could make sense. Yeah, exactly. And you don't really hear about this where do you learn about this? You don't really learn about this kind of stuff in school. You don't. You kind of have to scour the web and just find out the connections yourself. And this is how, how it works because people are billionaires or trillionaires. They have so much money that they don't really care about the money anymore. They they prefer to like leverage power. So obviously, if you already could buy whatever you want, what's the next next thing? You're going to probably want to have more land. Yeah. And that usually comes up with like diplomacy and taking other countries. That's something that's always been going on for since the existence of, of like humans and, and time. Always battle for land, right? People are always fought for land all the time. The barbarians, you know, the medieval times was always about land. Middle East was always about land. Yeah, same, same way when Columbus traveled the ocean blue and came to the United States, right? The Western Hemisphere, the U.S., it's always about land, about yeah. domination. Yeah, because, hey, who the hell funded them? Kings. What did that king want? Territory. Yeah, because yeah. Cause it's, it's, a, it's something, because if, if you don't realize... Land is like almost like gold. It's not gonna. There's a limit of it. That's why. That's why it's so valuable because it's not everybody could have it. It's so limited because if you have all the land, that's all the land there is. No one's gonna have any more land if you already have all the land. Yeah. And as humans, we we like these things. Yeah. Isn't that crazy. We like. And now that all the land is almost consumed, data is the new thing that we're mining, mm-hmm. and it's the gold. Um, and also a crazy thing is, you know, who knows how 9-11 happened and stuff, but there was definitely a lot of influence for us to go there, especially that video when the, the diplomat guy, then he meets like the national secretary and he, there's a plan how we're going to go into six different countries in the next like decade. Mm-hmm. And that's the shit that was going down. Syria, Somalia, Afghanistan, Iraq, you name it. Uh, what's the other one? Yemen. Do you remember a few months ago where they had that reporter that was killed? Was that in Saudi Arabia? Uh, so there was a documentary on that one, the Prince one, right? Uh, I don't know. Uh, we talk. We always talk about the Russian one, the whole election rigging. Well, was that in Saudi Arabia where that person died, like in the embassy where they killed him? It was the prince from one of the princes from Saudi Arabia, but it was the uh, Saudi Arabian embassy in Turkey. Yeah, where that he got that like, killed. Yes. See, and that's probably how. That's probably why we didn't really dig dig in too deep into that because guess what. Saudi Arabia, you know, we got we got a good handshake with Saudi Arabia back from these these nineteen forty four days. Yeah, dude. Stuff. Why do you, why do you think Trump couldn't say shit yeah. when the the freaking prince assassinated? Everyone knows about it. Same thing with Putin. These people cannot be touched in a sense. You can't. Um, and yeah. another perfect example of how corrupt this shit is too is it's interesting because we we have a, like a nursing podcast and we were just hammering the history, but. People need to be educated because knowledge is power. So look at Gaddafi, which is around 2006 to 2008, whenever Obama took office. Gaddafi was actually a man that wanted to sell oil, another country that has a lot of oil. He wanted to sell oil in a different currency, not by the USD. So America knew 
because of Libya, the resources, whatever connections he had, he was clearly a threat to the economy of the United mm -hmm. States because of the petrodollar. So what we did is we created a bunch of propaganda around Gaddafi. He's a bad dictator. He's doing this. Do you remember we created a no-fly zone over his right. country and We're all this him. shit? And then all of a sudden, Obama just declared war and just shot a bunch of Tomahawk missiles and killed him in his bunker. Yeah. Well, and we were all cheering that on because on the news we're hearing he's a bad dictator, he's killing people. I'm sure he wasn't the best man. I'm not freaking defending him. But what we did was freaking really unlawful, technically illegal, whatever you want to call it. That's but it's one of those things that like you don't know for sure. You don't know one. for sure. That's one of those things where it's like, but it's like, it's always if you want to try to hit hit one person, you know, just because like why? Like you're telling me that if we just just kill this one person, this whole organization is going to disappear. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, why do we, like, when you're talking about Libya and, and I was bombing them, like, why do we got to bond people so hard? Right. I mean, there's also the reason? industrial military complex. There's yeah. multiple people that are benefiting from this that we have 100%. to look at. That's why it's like, a, it's like, a, you can't always blame one person. It's like the systems that, that's, that's, that's the issue that's been in, in place. Yeah. It's like, the people. It's like looking at Afghanistan, right? I think the previous episode, we mentioned Afghanistan recently. Yeah. And that was recorded a little bit later. Now we're looking a couple weeks back in. You know, uh, the, there's a bombing in Kabul by another ISIS terrorist group now. Now now they're saying we cannot restore peace if, in Afghanistan because the Taliban cannot withstand the, this terrorist group if America doesn't get involved or the Afghanistan security forces. So now we created this crazy crazy scenario on the mainstream uh, news narrative that people and children are dying and all that and yeah. i probably i believe that i'm not saying it's wrong but now what are we doing now it's just another narrative to go back to war the industrial military complex is going to be happy news ratings go up yeah. i mean there's just a bunch of things that we don't know about how it, there's benefits from corporations and what another another decade of war now we're fighting and now we're helping the taliban all of a sudden i i, I don't understand and it doesn't take a lot to cause or start a war. Oh no! Because I'm thinking about it right now. Like you could you could fly somebody in. Let's say for example, you could fly somebody in here. If you want to start a war with the U.S., I could fly somebody here from let's say like Ukraine or France or any or any country. Fly him here. He could make a bomb for me. I could take this bomb and I could walk down a few blocks at a school and blow that shit yeah, up. Careful what you say, dude. I'm not, I'm not gonna do this. I'm yeah, not yeah do there this. you go. Perfect. I'm just giving for an example. Like, uh -huh. it's not that hard to fly somebody in here, have a credit bomb for you, and you walk somewhere down and cause an explosion that kills like 15, 20 people, and then have the media all come at once, all report on it, and you give them those that information that they want. So, hey, this was done by. You know, somebody from Bangladesh. This is a right. Bangladesh. This is a Bangladesh against the U.S. bombing, and you can hype it up, and you can make it huge, and think it's oh my god, this is Bangladesh is starting war war with the United States, and you could cause actually stir that shit up, and you could cause the U.S. population to turn on Bangladesh, right. even though that that bomb went out of it and had had anything to do with Bangladesh. I mean, or how almost like minute that bomb was compared to other crazy shits going on in the world, like starvation and like genocide and all those crazy things. Right. The CIA has a track record yeah. of doing things like that. They fund specific protests and different activities in different countries in order to influence things to go a specific way. Like this shit is not a conspiracy. Yeah, it's we're open not, source. We're not saying that this stuff is, is done yeah. at all the time. We're just saying that companies will take advantage of a situation no matter what it is, no matter if they did it or if somebody else did it. Like even one of the crazy investors always says, don't be afraid to take advantage of a good crisis. 
because right. you can prof profit from it from it look at what people profited from the COVID 19 pandemic look at all these companies we're not saying that's bad but sometimes people value profit over really anything else over our freedoms yes. liberties you know sometimes that that profit does come with a positive side but there are also times where that profit comes with a detrimental negative side you uh, you have to be able to differentiate that yourself and that's kind of when we tie censorship into our episode, when we talk about censorship, that's why it's so important because nobody should be telling you which way you should think or which side to choose. Right. You should be making that own decision because us as humans, we're, we naturally know right from wrong. Right. Like, for example, if you never heard of of the Nazis and somebody presented to you, hey, there was a, a group of people called Nazis trying to exterminate uh, people called Jews, would you be on Nazi side or, or a Jewish people's side? Naturally, instinctively, you would vouch for people that were Jews because they were getting 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 uh, killed, right? There's something in us that's for most people is going to choose the, the the benefit, the more positive outcome. But when you're censored, you don't always get a full picture on 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 both sides. Yeah. And so people are able to kind of push you toward towards one of the choices for their benefit. So that's yeah. why censorship is I believe that there should be not be any kind of censorship. Or I guess I would say like pedophilia, those kind of things. Like you shouldn't be able to see people. Exactly. You shouldn't see people. Eth- see ethical shit. Yes, yes. And I, I, I'm backing you yeah. up because for anybody listening, ask yourself this question. Do you want to have a distorted reality, a sanitized reality? Why don't you have the freedom to choose what you take in, not your government to take in a distorted reality for your safety? They, they use that shit way too much. And- to give you a good example, I don't want to lose my train of thought. Um, yeah, can I say something real quick? Yeah, so run it, run it. So if, if it's hard for you to put yourself in that kind of a mindset, think about this. So, for example, you have kids, right? Think about your kids' future. So you have your kids. Do you believe someone else should have more of a saying on what your kids believe, what they should see, what they should look at, what they should learn? Or do you think you should be the one that's... That should be telling your kids what to do, what to look, what what to look at, what to see. That's like, yeah. How do you want? Do you want to raise your kids, or do you want the state to run your kids? Exactly. And the Constitution says that we are the American people. We have the sovereign liberties given to us by God, yeah. and we're meant to govern govern ourselves. Sovereignty, not the government governing us. That's the exact opposite of our founding fathers. Um, have told us to do and we're falling into a crazy pitfall so yeah like geez see we're supposed to talk about the petrol dollar here but looking Sorry. at like COVID and all these corporations that i mentioned like this week like you have um all these companies at google and microsoft are investing to they're going to be doing COVID screenings at home services now now you're gonna, they're going to track employees and if you get six feet close they could vibrate all these different corporations that are creating the next future businesses mm-hmm. if they make a hundred million dollars a year, and now you're going to be monitored actively when you go outside because it's for your safety. Do you think these corporations are going to want to let gro- uh, let go of these grips? Or not? If Microsoft owns those companies, they might pay a couple of politicians a couple more million dollars just to make sure that this never gets turned back. Which is like that, um, just like the Patriot Act happened during 9/11. The COVID uh, contact tracing. Contact tracing is legally now we could track us, right? Mm-hmm. If we're not going to overturn that, especially when there's companies making money. So you see that? Yes, I understand. It's We should get all these great things and do all these proper things because we want to benefit the greater good of society. That's altruism. 
but we also have to look at the negative consequences that are never going to be reversed when it comes to our freedoms and civil liberties. Yeah. That's it. Yep. So that's there. <laughs> there you go. Respect. Especially once you started getting in the economy, like we were just talking about proposition, what, 21 or 22 or 12? Yeah, in California. So think about it. So they wanted to, I don't know the full story. I didn't dig real deep, but just from like a theoretical and like a concept kind of look at it. So there was this proposition that said, should Uber driver and Lyft drivers be considered employees? And Uber and Lyft and those kind of companies were against it because they knew that if, or if they they didn't know or they did know, but I'll, I'll just go in this route. So Uber and Lyft knew that if they were considered employees, they had to offer them benefits, different kind of perks because they're because they're employees compared to where where they are, um, like outsourced. What is it called? Like you're almost like freelance. You're independent yeah. contractor. You're like an independent contractor, so you don't qualify for the same benefits and perks as employees do. So obviously Uber and Lyft were fighting against it, but you gotta understand that. What if Uber and Lyft couldn't afford to call them employees because they would have to pay them? So they ultimately go bankrupt. That's the thing. So you have to be careful because once these things that you thought are beneficial and the long run they're negative, once they're instilled in the economy, it's kind of hard to let them go. Yeah. Because even though if, if you think Uber and Lyft are treating their employees in, you know, like carelessly and improperly, well, guess what? Is it better for them to not have a job or is it better to be for them to have a job but, but be treated carelessly and improperly? Right. And it's like, look, and that's a perfect example to relate to us. Imagine if we had assistance and if they work 20 hours, we can't just send them a regular W form. Hey, you're an independent contractor. Now they need benefits and all this. Right. So now, now you're starving the little people that are in the entrepreneur space are trying to make it mm-hmm. because now everybody needs benefits and that's going to crush your business and you could potentially never become successful. Yeah. More benefit for corporations. Right. That's why it's important to have the ability to look at things from all perspectives because the short-term benefit might not be the same as a long-term benefit. So you have to be able to 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 like value that and see if you're will, willing to to risk that and if it's going to be beneficial for you. Think about like like almost like in school. Now that I'm thinking about these like different theories, like yeah. think about school, like like college education. What I what I agree with education is in school you should be taught like the core curriculum, like math, certain sciences, um, certain histories, something that we could all agree on. That's what I believe that everybody should be taught in school. Someone that's that's in, intrinsically almost good. Like math, math we go, what you got? Two plus two is four, right? That should be taught at school. But more of like the moral things and values and more of these ethical things, I don't think those should always be in the core curriculum because all that's subjective. I think school does well in making elective courses where right. you're required to take something like math, science, history, but then you also have a choice to take something more as elective, like let's say certain psychology classes or maybe cooking class or maybe band class. Or something like that. That's what school does a very good job on. And I don't think school should ever try to push opinionated things or polarized things or very subjective things on students, which I feel like is going on a lot in universities now. We're trying to push certain ideas and concepts onto, onto people that are more subjective than objective. Yeah, so remember how I was mentioning the self-identity? They kind of want us to keep identifying with things. Mm. And that's like a right. bad school of thought. And it, becomes, and it leaves the elective side right like, that's like an elective thing it's not something that really everybody needs to survive right we, math you need to survive like this like courses on like gender identity things like that those those you could get away with in life and not ever look at and you'll be completely fine as a human being when they start pushing those kind of things those kind of ideas i'm not saying that's that's bad i'm saying more ideas that are very subjective 
and you should think this way, but it's subjective, that doesn't really have one objective approach, that's when I think it's bad. Because that's when it, that's when it kills creativity and it makes you conform to just one, one idea. And you can't, like I want to say, I'm going to say this again, I think I always say it, is that you can't grow if you just have the one idea. Exactly. Because there's pers- perspectives. Exactly. Because you might think it's a good idea for, a, for a, the, the short term, but that long term might come and bite you in the ass. Yeah. Even if people like listen to us and they're like, wow, we are raised so diversely and all this, yeah. this formulates different opinion. And maybe that's why we have such different interests and bring such great ideas into discussion because we were just raised and understand different aspects of society. And plus, like if you think about it, we were a lot less censored than normal. Like, I, don't say, I don't want to say normal kids, but other kids, because our parents only spoke Polish. So they relied on us through English translations. Yeah, I got so, away with everything, guys. Yes. You got, there was no essential for us. Internet, we found out about first. You could look up whatever the fuck you wanted at any age because your parents aren't going to block anything from you. You can so, see whatever. So they told me at first, like, Matt, like we get bills, what you send. So it scared me for like the first month mm-hmm. or two. And then, you know, you're sneaky enough. you started calling and paying for the bills. You realize, hey, this bill statement doesn't say anything about exactly. it. Exactly. So our parents relied everything for us to set up. Yeah. So it's like I, I probably called Comcast to set up the appointment. I got the accounts ready. So I already had access. My parents can't like put parent to control me because I had no idea about that. Yeah. No curfew. Um, geez, if I if I miss school, it's probably my phone number they're calling and my right. friend is telling me like, you're, I'm sorry, my kid is sick. Yeah, It is what it is. That's the, that's the child that I was growing right. up, but it freaking matured me like a mother. And we grew up in the age of internet. So we had no web access restrictions at yeah. all. So we could look into whatever, if our, if our parents told us, and then Google came along. Yeah. Because Google was like, hey, or ask Jeeves. Hey, ask Jeeves. What That's is good. this? What is that? And your parents would tell you something like, hey, this is this. And you'd be like, what is this? And you Google it. You're fact-checking your parents already at such a young age without even knowing it. Because the internet was already programming you to, instead of it's looking a at a book. Not, but not question. I look at a book. They simplified it. They got rid of the friction. Yeah. Instead of asking a book, it's you just type it in here and we'll give you the information. That's already almost like, like that's the first step to freedom. But it's also the first step to censorship. Because if you make it very easy for me where I could ask a question in this little text box and you spit out the answer for me, well, guess what? I'm asking a question and you're the one spitting out this answer for me. You're the one spitting it out. So now you're getting a diluted sense of information. Yeah, it's not you going into books and reading what it is. It's telling what it is. You're not going to dictionary and saying, what does fart mean? It's, hey, what, 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 what is fart? And it's Google telling you what that means. You could be fucking wrong. So, so it's almost like as fast as we got into this situation, which is the, the freaking eliminating the friction and the currency of time and being so quick about finding everything and freedom of knowledge yeah we also have to almost bounce back and look at books and information because of the history that it has and it doesn't dilute your sense of information the way you learn and right all that the same day as the internet allowed the spread of knowledge and ideas it took it away because it became the one main area of where it's going to be and it's crazy because internet technically it's centralized is free. things. Yeah, think about it. internet isn't isn't really centralized. You could, you could say, but technically it is centralized because someone could shut that bitch off. Well, now it's becoming centralized because now we're realizing these big entities that are just in control of a few things, like Facebook and Google, basically control everything right now. Yeah, we're not including Amazon delivery, like Facebook from and the Google. Social aspect, yeah. From a social aspect, they have us in the freaking loop. Mm-hmm. Whatever algorithms are feeding us through the various social platforms. They got, it, they got it all down to a yeah. T. So then if you hear that YouTube removes one million videos of misinformation, 
you, you could look at it two ways. You could either cheer that on because it could be helping the public. But what really is misinformation when you have pharmaceutical industries that are not going to want to basically look into uh, what's that one drug? Not question. Uh, um, oxycodone. Which one? Uh, was the um, was it for? Not remdesivir. It helped with COVID. Um, ivermectin. Ivermectin. Now you're going to have misinformation about ivermectin instead of getting a shot or whatever it is, a specific treatment that there's a patent that makes a lot of money because it's going to benefit big pharma. And then you have the skewed sense of reality, what's right, what's wrong, but they create the divide and conquer and you want, you have to identify with a side and they continue to win. And, right. and at the end of the day is what, it, you know, what's mind blowing. Like this beer is freaking good, by yeah, the way, yeah, man, I, it got I, me thinking, huh? That's what I'm saying internet was supposed to be a tool. But now it's like a necessity. So for example, you know how crazy it is? Like for example, if I ask you a question and I'm not sure, or for example, if you tell me something, I'm gonna look it up right away. Because many people are, they would rather believe what Google tells them than what they learn from a person. That's also Isn't that crazy? Too. You learn a disconnect. Yeah. Because back in the day, learning was from peer to peer, person to person. Now people value what Google tells them over well, a person tells them, which is crazy, which is, which is, you almost have like sword. a, ego, yeah, your ego almost kicks in at that point yeah. and you never, you almost want to challenge everybody's thoughts instead right. of actively listening to where they're coming from. So that's the thing. It's a tool. We can't forget that. It's a tool. It's not a necessity. It's, it's there for, for us to use, but we have to use it in the right manner because if, if a tool we could use a right way and a wrong way, right? A hammer. If I'm using a hammer to hit a nail into the drywall, it's good. But if I'm fucking somebody up in the forehead, dude, and killing them, that's not the right way we use a hammer. It's a tool, right? Yeah. It's the same way. That's the same way how everything. It's the same way the cell, same way the cell phones work. It could be, you know, it, it could give you the most success, but it, it could be the end to your demise. Or it could be the end to your demise, yes. but it could also be your demise. Yep. Same thing with social media. Yeah. You either are consuming or creating. Yeah. In all essence, you know, and are you using social media as a great tool to learn? It's, yeah. And that's why I like, like when people say like it's battle for your mind because these are all tools and everything is mentally driven and it's all with the conscious and the subconscious where most of the things that we do require mental effort, mental thought, where that's what people are, are fighting for now is, is what goes in your mind and what you think about. Yeah. So, so this cell phone is almost becoming your own prison. We're almost putting ourselves can, in a yeah. box from in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At least that's where my thoughts are coming from. Yeah, well, back to where how much gas costs, I guess, right? Yeah. Real, real quick, we'll sum it up. Uh, gas gas prices are are constituted by the cost of crude oil, the taxes that are put on it, and then all the marketing and promotion that goes along with it. And it's crazy, man. I learned this a little bit ago. Is that everything that goes into gasoline, you're paying for everything. So that is from the time the oil leaves the earth up until it hits your gas tank. You're all, we're all paying for that. Nothing, everything, every single thing, every single cost gets passed on to a consumer. It's accounted for. Yes, and you could do that with these things that are necessities nowadays. Even water, like the cost of water is all passed down in the consumer. Even even the branding, but of course, like Coca-Cola makes the water, so they obviously have a different kind of branding strategy and yeah. stuff. But things that are necessary in, in life that people almost cannot live without, those costs are usually always passed on to the consumer. This is crazy to think about. It is. And if you're wondering what are the five top imports of crude oil in the United States, Canada's number one being 52%. Then we have Mexico 
with 11%. Three is Russia with 7%. Saudi Arabia, 7%. I wonder why now. And Colombia is 4%. Mm. So that's what's disclosed to us. Who knows where all that comes from? <laughs> right. Sum it up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say one more thing about the, the crew, but I forgot. I don't know. I don't think I have anything, I guess. Okay. I think we had an <laughs> awesome episode here. Uh, we dive off, to- off topic, but... I think our shows are freaking damn amazing because we never cut. We never cut a single damn thing. Everything always runs raw, unfiltered. If we have to pause and think, we do. A lot of people edit their shows and make it pretty. Like this is the the reality of Cup of Nurses here. We're raw and unfiltered. And I hope you learned a lot about the reality of crude oil, the influence of power, how big corporations could have a lot of influence on the world and just be always open to DYR doing your own research and stay open-minded in this world of one-mindedness. Thank you so much. Don't forget to check out the shops, guys. See you. Peace.